Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this service. Glad to have you here, those of you that are here with us in the room, and those of you joining us via Zoom. We're glad to have you here this morning, especially because, as all of you know, this is a special moment in the life of our congregation, a moment that we didn't see coming in any form or fashion at all that caught us absolutely, totally by surprise and is a pretty devastating thing. So we're here uh, today to to grieve, to lament, to look for hope, to be together. That's why we're on the, ta- at, the at tables. And uh, so we invite you to come as you are and to um, be yourself and also to listen and to hear and to feel so that we can begin to do the work of working through this and recovering from it in the ways that God gives us to do so. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind, and that light shines in the darkness. This morning we light this candle to remember that our eternal God is with us. Our God has been present in our past from generation to generation through times of great joy and times of great sorrow. Our God has been faithfully present in this building through weekly gatherings of this Christian community for worship, word, and table. Our God has been graciously present in our faith community, in baptisms and professions of faith, in potlucks and Bible studies and the fellowship that we've shared. We light this candle to remember that our eternal God has been with us, is with us now in the midst of this particular darkness, and will continue to remain with us in the future. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Son, full of grace and truth. We've seen and experienced God's glory. But in the events that have unfolded this week with our former pastor, the murder of a child and stories of abuse, we struggle to see that glory. We struggle to make sense of it. We struggle with our fear our sadness, our horror. Where is God's glory in the midst of this darkness? But God gathers us here this morning in the same way he has gathered this community of faith for many decades. At God's invitation to come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, we worship, we grieve, we lament, we proclaim a glory that we may not at this moment yet see. So I invite you to rise, if you're willing to, and if you can, in body or spirit, as we join our voices together in song.
week, we begin our service by confessing that our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The love of God our Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you from this day forth into eternity. Amen. Please be seated. Katie Ruloffs has graciously offered to assist me in preparing and leading this service. Uh, so she's going to be alternating with me with different parts. So I'll invite her to come forward now. Thank you, Katie. For the events that have happened in this past week that we don't quite understand. But we come before a Lord who hears our prayers. Please pray with me. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray for the family of Gretchen Harrington, for those still living who have spent years grieving her death, marking their milestones and wondering what her life could have been. A deep and real wound that never closed has been torn open again. So in these moments of silence, we lift up the Harrington family. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we pray for David Zanstra, made in your image, deeply loved by you, fallen and sinful. How your heart must break over him, O oh God. And we are angry and we are horrified. And it's hard to know exactly how to pray. So in these moments of silence, Lord, hear our prayers. We pray for David Zanstra's family and for the shock and the pain that they must be feeling. Lord, would you be close to them in these coming days and weeks as they experience and live in this new reality that is before them? We lift up this family to you. Lord, hear our prayers.
We pray for victims of abuse connected with this case. After many long years of silence, Lord, would you tend to their memories and to their pain? We pray for other victims of past abuse who live daily in the shadows of trauma. In the silence, Lord, hear our prayers. We pray for the Brumal community, for those that remember and for those who do not. We pray for those in our community who were here when this event happened. We pray that in the coming days, grief and anger can be channeled into meaningful action. Taking steps to be a community that prevents harm and works for the greater good of all citizens. And Lord, we are grateful for the faithful work of law enforcement to bring closure and justice. Lord, hear our prayer. Finally, Lord, we pray for the community here at Trinity CRC. Some feel closer to the situation than others, but Lord, we equally share the grief of harm and the grief of loss of life at the hands of one within our own walls. We pray for those who are today a part of the Trinity family and those who have been a part of our family in the past and who also grieve these events. In this moment and in the coming days and weeks, Lord, we pray for peace that passes understanding. For we do not yet understand it, and we grieve. So, Lord, hear our prayer. We offer up these prayers to you, confident that you, God, are close to the brokenhearted. And that you save those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, hear our prayers. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen. What does a person do? in the face of the kind of evil we've been exposed to this week? What do we as a small Christian community 
do in the face of the kind of evil we've been exposed to this week? How does one respond? How do we respond? How do we live in the shadow of horror that has been cast over our community? There's a variety of possibilities depending on the personality of the person or community, the history, the context, the proximity to the evil. A person can be or we can be deeply, deeply brokenhearted. Perhaps uncontrollably angry. Deeply sad. Perhaps fearful. If this could happen in our Lawrence Park and in our Trinity Church community, even though it was many years ago, where could I ever be safe? Perhaps renewed, committed again to seek justice and to work harder so that such a thing could never again happen in our community. You might find yourself triggered. If you've been a victim of abuse of any kind, reliving the agony, the pain, the disillusionment, the sense of helplessness and the abandonment of the past. This may even be the event for you that convinces you, finally, that Christianity, that Christians, that the church, anything connected to the Christian religion or any religion at all for that matter, is nothing but hypocrisy, an empty show, a repository of evil. A place that so operates that this kind of evil can be present and grow. And as such, you may say, from today, from this week, I reject that. I walk away. Any one of these reactions is understandable and to a certain extent legitimate. I want to acknowledge these and any other reactions you may be having. It's perfectly understandable that your work, that your world might be deeply shaken this week. Perhaps you can identify with the words of Psalm 46. The earth gives way. The mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. The waters roar and foam. The mountains tremble at its swelling. Or perhaps you identify with the words of Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How do we take steps towards a sense of balance, a sense of perspective in these awful days, in light of this awful story. I'm not going to give you a happy, clappy answer this morning. In fact, I'm not going to give you an answer at all. 
I'm not going to assure you that if you just read the Bible, believe, pray, work hard enough that everything's going to be all right. It's a fool's errand to try to put this kind of evil in a box, put a ribbon about it, and go on with our day or our lives as if we now understand and explain this and can just go on. There's no way to explain this. There's no answer that will neatly tie up the loose ends of this evil. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing we can say. The Apostle Paul was in prison, in the chains of the Roman Empire, in the first century of the Christian era after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Roman Empire at that time certainly made its positive contributions to the world, contributions that continue to impact us today. But it was also a pretty evil empire. Patronage, slavery, abuse, unimaginable cruelty, suffering, armed force, death by crucifixion or at the hands, at the claws of animals in the, in the arena was everywhere. They used to say as you walked through Palestine and especially around Jerusalem, you saw crosses all over the place. It was an empire of racism, of sexism, of oppression, of militarism, of recklessly extravagant wealth and extreme abject poverty and despair. It was an empire filled with sexual promiscuity and abuse of every imaginable sort. It was an empire in which anyone who could take advantage of another did. The Apostle Paul looked that evil empire right in the face. And he dedicated himself to proclaiming another, the Greek word is evangel, message of good news. Another message than that evangel proclaimed by the Roman Empire, which was this, the emperor is the son of God. And he's bringing you peace. And because Paul looked the empire in the face and proclaimed against it, he was persecuted, imprisoned, and killed. Here's what, or better said, who, Paul turned his gaze to in the evil of his day. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. You were not made by empire. You were not made and created by nothing. You were created by Jesus Christ. And he is before all things. And listen to this. In him, all things, and I take that all exactly literally, 
everything is held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. The beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He goes before us. We follow him. We don't follow the empire. We don't follow the emperor. We don't follow the multinationals. We don't follow the warmongers. We don't follow the rich or the smart. Follow Jesus. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We've been talking about this for the whole last year from the Gospel of John. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. The light of the world, against whom the darkness could not prevail, full of grace and truth. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through this Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. That's no answer. It's the fundamental truth upon which Paul stood in that empire and in that prison, in those chains, surrounded by those guards. It was that truth upon which he stood as he faced the evil around him, that God is in Christ, reconciling to himself all things, whether on heaven, in, on earth, or in heaven, and making peace by the blood of the cross. That Jesus, that image of God who came, who lived among us so many years ago, because he also spoke against empire in a different way than Paul did, but just as clearly and just as confrontationally was himself killed. And when he stretched his arms out on that cross, he took upon himself all the evil of the world, including the evil that we are experiencing right now. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it is finished. Into your hands I commend my spirit. Today we look evil in the face. We see eight-year-old Gretchen Harrington picked up one summer morning down this road on her way to Bible school by a trusted family friend. We are silent as we think of the fear she must have felt as she began to realize what was happening to her. We wonder at the tortured mind and heart of a man who proclaimed himself to be a man of God, but was capable of a horrific evil, hypocrisy, and duplicitousness, the likes of which probably none of us have ever heard of in our whole lives, and that he maintained for decades. We grieve with the young ladies of that time, 
subjected to abuse in the house that's right behind this building. We think back on the community of that time. Unable, perhaps unwilling, to recognize abuse and fight for the protection of the community, especially the young ones. We recognize that sometimes our Christian system is set up in such a way that this kind of evil can happen and it can be covered up. And we tremble. And then we look up and we see the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple. Above him stand the seraphim. Each has six wings, and with two he covers his face, and with two he covers his feet, and with two he flies. And one calls to another and says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And like Isaiah the prophet, who tells of this day, this happened to him, we cry out, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Or as Frederick Buechner puts it, O God, I am done for. I am foul of mouth and member of a foul-mouthed race, With my own two eyes I have seen him. I'm a goner and sunk. Then says Bigner, one of the winged things touched Isaiah's mouth with fire and said, there, it will be all right now. And mystery itself said, who will it be? And with charred lips, Isaiah said, me. And mystery said, go. Mystery said, go give the deaf hell till you're blue in the face. And go show the blind heaven till you drop in your tracks, because they'd sooner eat ground glass than swallow the bitter pill that puts roses in the cheeks and a gleam in the eyes. Go do it. And Isaiah said, do it until when? And Mystery said, till hell freezes over. And Mystery said, Do it till the cows come home. And that is what a prophet does for a living. And starting from the year that King Uzziah died, when Isaiah saw and heard all these things, he went out and did it. Dear people of God, we have seen unimaginable evil. We are here this morning to look up and see the Lord of hosts the Christ who has created all things and holds them together. We confess that we are people of unclean lips and hands. We receive the burning coal on our lips. We hear the words, your guilt is taken away. And then we hear the voice calling, whom shall I send? Who will go? And with our charred lips, We answer, 
perhaps very softly, with a broken heart and trembling knees, not knowing how, what, or where. And we say, send me. Amen. In response to God's word, we recognize that in this place we've named grief. We've named grief over the loss of life and the loss of dignity, loss. But in these moments, as we also say, send me, we need an opportunity as a community of faith to lament. And in our lament, we don't just address the grief. But we wrestle with the questions and with the anger that this situation presents right before us. Lament is our spiritual response to the pervasive problem of evil that we stare in the face this morning. It's a time when we acknowledge the corporate nature of sin. That it not only affects individuals, but it affects us as a community. So as we turn again to God in prayer, I will say, Lord, in your mercy. And your response will be, for what we have done and for what we have left undone, hear our prayer. And those words are going to be up on the screen for you. I invite you to pray with me. How long, Lord? How long? God, we lament the persistence of sin. It knows no boundaries. It has no time limits. It follows no rules. It has no age limits. So we live with it each and every day in big and in small ways in local ways and global ways, individually and communally, privately and in public. Everywhere we look, Lord, we see the evidence of brokenness and sin, and so we cry out, How long, O Lord? How long? Lord, in your mercy, for for what we have have done, done, And for for what what we we have have left left undone, undone, hear our prayer. Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? God, we lament the perpetual nature of sin. It's easy to find and not easy to redeem. We confess how often we turn a blind eye to sin and to suffering, to pain. There are so many in this world who live day after day with sorrow. And for a long list of reasons, we say that it's not ours to own. That the problem is too great. We're too busy. 
We don't want to interfere. We feel hopeless to try. This morning we lament that even though we were not there at the time of this particular incident, and we are not personally responsible for this crime, we live and we exist in a broken and sinful system. And our broken systems allowed and continue to allow evil to persist. Our broken systems, and yes, even our broken churches, are not immune from evil. And our participation within them brings us to our knees in repentance. So, Lord, in your mercy, for what we have done and for what we have left undone, hear our prayer. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. God, we lament the death of Gretchen Harrington. We lament the incidents of abuse that are surfacing which are their own horrific form of death. We are a people who have grown so callous to death in its many forms. We live with it as a reality, and we accept the certainty that it is just a part of life. And because of the sure hope of the resurrection, we're quick to minimize it, to make it less painful, and to move past it. But death is painful. Death, particularly in instances like this, is senseless. We lament its presence in our world and in our communities. We lament its presence in missing faces at our dinner tables. We lament its presence in the death of innocence, in the death of hope, in the death of life. For the sadness and for the burden that we share. For the callousness we are prone to and for the pain and the grief that we experience. Lord, in your mercy, for for what what we we have have done done, and for for what what we we have have left undone, undone, Hear our our prayer. But I trust in your unfailing love. And my heart rejoices in your salvation. We will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to us. God, at the end of the psalm of lament, we have the bold declaration that even in the face of death and sin, we will trust you because you are unfailing and you are good. So in the midst of a tragedy such as this, we claim this promise and we cling to this promise. It is not up to us to see it in the here and now. And it's not up to us to fulfill it because God, it is your promise. 
in your faithfulness that holds us steady when the ground beneath us moves and shakes. You do not leave us in our lament alone. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails, and it is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Amen. As we prepare to go from this place, we go with the promise and with the hope that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. And so we raise our voices, not in praise for what is, but in the defiant, in the sure hope for what we believe will be. So together we sing like never before. To God, with one another, and for those who need us to bear witness to the light. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Those of you that were here in the building, we're very grateful that you're here. Those of you joining us in Zoom, thank you for showing us your love and support in this way. Thank you, Katie, for all the work you've put into this service, all the help you've been to me. We're grateful for your service to us and to God and to everyone else who had a part in making this service happen. Beloved people of God, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.
both Norm and Katie. It's going to be <coughs> difficult. Okay. But thank you. Um, like he said, I knew Dave, the day he came to the day he left. That was seven years. Uh, I was a teenager, and he left when I was 20, so you can figure out how old I am now if you do the simple math there. <laughs> but it's been 48 years, and I was thinking, it happened on a Friday. I remember going down, going through the search, you know, looking for it. The bottom of the street was a lot different than it's now, much more wooded than what we see now. And came here on Sunday, and Dave Zanster preached to us that Sunday. And I think of today's service, it's like, wow, what a difference. And just to, again to say thank you. It's been quite a few years, believe me, 48 years driving up um, Lawrence Road. I look at that house where Gretchen lived, and I think of what happened 48 years ago. It will continue for its part, but it's a whole healing thing, too. So, And thank you. Again, thank you for being here. You're free to hang around, sit at the tables. There is coffee and some snacks back there. Feel free to uh, make uh, make you uh, enjoy them. And then uh, whatever your week brings you, uh, as my daughter now says to us almost every time I speak to her, have the best week available. God bless you. Thank you again for being here.